Dr. Norman Doidge is here. It's nice to have you. Thank you very much. This is a remarkable documentary, but it begins with an incredible premise. We always assumed any kind of injury to the brain, that's it, that's all, all done, and you prove otherwise. Well, every brain injury is different. Everyone gets hit in a different way. And, you know, we used to think of the brain as a machine. That's been the ruling metaphor for about 400 years. And when you talk about the brain as though it's hardwired, you're using that machine metaphor an electrical machine, and when you say it's a computer, you're using another metaphor, uh, another machine metaphor. And machines do wonderful things, but they don't reorganize themselves, they don't grow new parts. Now, the problem was with this metaphor that when people had a brain injury or stroke uh, or Parkinson's or autism or learning disorders, and so, uh, many of the conditions that I talk about in the book we were thinking of it, them as having a broken brain. Now we discover that the brain is actually, not only can it actually change, that's how it works in everyday life. When you learn something, it's reorganizing its circuitry. Now, that means we need a whole new approach to things like stroke, Parkinson's, and uh, traumatic brain injuries. We discover that if we know what we're doing, in some cases, I'm not claiming all, because remember, every brain injury is different. Every brain disease is different. We can stimulate the brain using various form, non-invasive forms or activities and often facilitate it to restart to heal itself. Let's talk about one case which you treat in this documentary, and that is a man with Parkinson's disease. Mm -hmm. He is uh, South African, not that that really matters, but, I mean, he's 20 years into his diagnosis, and he walks more or less normally by thinking about it in every yeah. single detail. Yes, so yes. it's not so much rewiring the brain so much as turning walking into a more conscious task. When a person has Parkinson's, the part of the brain that turns um, our movements into sequences of movements is damaged. That's, that's in the basal ganglia. What John discovered was if you use conscious attention to every single detail of walking, lean to the left hip, swing the right foot forward, bend the knee, land on, on the heel, and you think about each of those things, you can bypass the basal ganglia, which basically works unconsciously, or in, and you can allow yourself to begin walking. Now, that's stage one. Stage two is it turns out that walking is a way of stimulating brain growth factors. It's very, very important. You, you may ask why. Ask, you know, when will an animal go on a very long, fast walk? It's fleeing a predator. It's leaving its own environment, or it's, uh, it's hungry because there's no food left in its environment. So it goes on these very long walks. And what happens in the brain on these long walks? Actually, it starts to... Um, grow new brain cells in the areas that have to do with short-term memory. And it triggers these brain growth factors because the animal is going to go to a new unexplored territory and it's going to have to learn. So walking movement are intimately related to learning and regrowing brain circuitry. We're not saying that everybody can be helped all the time. What we're doing is we're moving away from this neurological nihilism, which assumed um, that nobody could ever be helped with some of these problems, to trying things to see if they'll help. 
And so what the documentary does is, in, in one case after another, takes people who were told uh, that they couldn't be helped by, you know, major medical centers, neurologists, neuropsychiatrists, neuropsychologists, and shows them being helped with these new techniques, and it explains how they work. You explained, of course, with John, it's it's a technique of thinking differently, but you also explore in the documentary electrical stimulation, uh, the use of sound, light, touch. Mm-hmm. Can we walk through some of those things? Sure. So here's what what enables these forms of energy to work. For the longest time, we talk about the brain as though it's a, a bag of chemical soup, and we just talk about it in terms of chemicals. But actually, the brain is a signaling organism. It's constantly using patterns of energy, electrical energy, to, um, to process our thinking, our experiencing, and so on. And it turns out that now that we know that the brain is plastic, meaning that it can change its structure and function in response to mental experience and activity, we can use these non-invasive forms of energy, just passing light in the back of the neck, sound into the ear, to change the pattern of firing in the brain. And I want to emphasize, if I say electricity, we're not shocking the brain. It's not like electroconvulsive therapy. In in one case, I talk about the use of very gentle forms of um, firing on something about the size of a stick of chewing gum on the tongue just to, quote, persuade the cells on the tongue that it's being touched. Now, why the tongue? The tongue is an inch and a half forward of the deepest part of the human brain, the brainstem. This method ingeniously gets into the deepest part of the brain without having to cut, you know, op- open skulls, etc., and it stimulates the brain stem, um, which in many, many conditions where people have problems with balance or double vision or co- um, too much f- fight-flight reaction, problems, movement, uh, it's the brain stem that's, that's firing in an irregular way. And basically, it's like the, the tongue has about... 25,000 nerve paths on it and you can basically normalize the firing of the of the brain in conditions like Parkinson's balance problems multiple sclerosis um, some kinds of stroke um, and and perhaps other conditions as well Dr. Norman Doidge is here, and he is the man behind a documentary for the nature of things called The Brain's Way of Healing. People are going to sit up when I mentioned that autism is touched on in this documentary, because mm-hmm. every parent is looking for some some fix when it comes to autism. What, what did you discover when it came to autism? Okay. So the first thing that people who work with autistic children know is if you've treated one or been with one autistic child, you've been with one autistic child. In other words, there are many different paths to autism. But there are a number of us who have been looking at autistic children who have improved, because some have improved. This is not widely known, but there are a number of physicians in the world who have been reverse engineering those kids who did get better. Now, here's one of the things we found about autism, that a large number, the majority of, of kids with autism have lots of inflammation in their bodies and their brains. Autism is not a brain disease simply. It's a whole body disease that affects the entire body, which includes the brain. Now, if um, the brain is developing and it's highly inflamed, its circuitry doesn't connect up well. Um, Certain areas talk to each other too much. Others don't talk to each other enough. And you get a kind of symptom picture. Um, 
One of the symptoms that most, the overwhelming majority of autistic children have is they're hypersensitive to sound. We used to th think that that was just one of many autistic symptoms, not especially important. Well, it turns out it's actually one of the crucial symptoms of autism because people who don't have hypersensitivity to sound, if they walk into a room and it's a party and there's a, you know, a booming, buzzing confusion, they can quickly hone in on individual conversations. People who are hypersensitive to sound actually can't do that. The autistic kids cover their ears. So why can some of us do it and others not? Because within the ear, there's an auditory zoom. It's like a zoom lens on a camera that focuses on certain frequencies. Now, if you can't do that focusing, it turns out that the brain goes into fight or flight. And when you're in fight or flight, you cannot engage with other individuals. So we know that one of the symptoms... You're in a state of, of panic, basically. Yes, yeah. you're focused on survival. Now, one of the symptoms autistic kids have is they don't make eye contact and they, they, they have trouble imagining other minds, it's thought to be. Well, I describe, the, um, I describe an intervention, actually, which is done here in Toronto at a place called the Listening Centre by a remarkable Frenchman named Paul Madal. And... What they do is they train that auditory zoom in the ear using mo music that's modified to trigger certain frequencies than others very, very gently in a way the child can describe. And often within a couple of days, if the, if, if the child really has this type of autism, they will do the following. They'll stop covering their ears. They'll look to their mother, maybe for the first time make eye contact, hug them. Now, that happens. That can happen. It's not to say that everybody with autism, you know, will benefit. And so in the film, I, I show two autistic uh, kids. Um, one, of the, one of them, I showed the before and after films. And before, he's just screaming, inconsolable, having temper tantrums, covering his ears, and so on. And, you know, he was supposed to be institutionalized. And, and after we see him, he's, you know, he's, got, he's grown up, he's got friends, he went to university, he's got a job, he's got a wonderful relationship with his mother, friends, and so on. That, that's the, a best-case scenario. I show another case of a, a boy who was supposed to be institutionalized um, from Barry, and you know, now he's, um, he's, the rages are gone, he's connecting with his parents, he has meaningful relationships, he's at a community college. I think we have to try to understand the brain on its own terms without metaphors where possible. And yeah, um, so, but, you know, apart from the, the sad missed opportunities of the past, the, the thing that gets under my skin at this point is that neuroscience has shown without a doubt that the brain has a significant amount of plasticity. And what bothers me is that today, as we, as we speak, someone's being told by someone that, uh, you know, you've had your stroke, you'll, you'll get somewhat better in the first six months, and then after that, you know, it's going to be a plateau and there's nothing you can do. And that ju that's just wrong. Thank you very much. Thank you.